content warning. In this episode, we discuss the death of dogs and manatees. If you didn't sign up for that, fair. Feel free to skip this episode. August, Brittany Stanton went swimming with her dog, Ollie, at Lady Bird Lake in Austin. Ollie was a two-year-old golden retriever. Stanton was excited to go kayaking, which she describes in a Facebook post as a must-do for Austinites. But quickly, the weekend outing turned into a nightmare. After coming out of the water, Ollie began to lose control of his legs and collapsed. Onlookers helped Stanton load her dog into her car and drive him to an emergency veterinarian. He died before they were able to get to the vet. Stanton wrote about her experiences on social media, and her post went viral. Austin's central liquid landmark had tested positively for algae before, but never the kind that produced neurotoxins. Today we're investigating harmful algae blooms, the mysterious bacteria that killed Ollie. It's particularly devastating in cities and places where a lot of humans live, like New York City. This year, it's made its debut in a few new places, like Ladybird Lake in Austin. The day after Ollie died, the Austin City Council held a press conference about the incident, as recorded by KXAN. So good afternoon, everybody. We're here to provide an update on the algae situation in Ladybird Lake. I'm Assistant City Manager Ray Ariano, and I'm joined here today by staff from multiple departments uh, to help answer your questions. Before I uh, start, I do want to say that Austin is known as a pet-friendly city because pets are an extended family, and we're proud of the way we share our public spaces with this family. I, I count myself as a pet owner, so it pains us to know that some of our pets have been harmed even fatally. We would like to send our condolences to those families that have been affected. While our information is anecdotal and we cannot independently confirm the cause or the number of animals that have died or become ill, we have no reason to question the validity of these accounts. We also want to assure the community that we are doing what we can to prevent further harm and to figure out what can be done to prevent a similar situation from happening again. Blue-green algae is technically not a plant, so this story is a bit of a stretch for this podcast. But harmful algae blooms are becoming more and more of a problem, and summer 2019 was a particularly bad year for them. Here's Alan Wilson, an expert on this issue. My name is Alan Wilson. I'm a professor in the School of Fisheries, uh, Aquaculture, and Aquatic Sciences at Auburn University. Wilson says he's been getting a lot of calls lately. This seems to be a hot period of time for people talking about blue-green algae, but these kinds of events, I think, happen every year. I just think when family has three dogs at night, fairly close in time and they think it's related to the water quality, that will get on the, the news and people get concerned and they ought to be concerned too. You know, every year we have people in Alabama call me that their cows have died. When I hear that, I ask them to, they can send me some tissues from the cow, but also send me some water. Blue-green algae is super weird. Like I said, it's not a plant and it's not even really algae either. 
I kind of think they're plants, but I've been criticized in papers and proposals that I've written. I actually even call them blue-green algae because they're not really algae. They photosynthesize, but they're, they're bacteria. So they're kind of this weird combination of plants and bacteria. They're a type of bacteria, so not, not a, a true plant. Some of these bizarre photosynthesizing bacteria produce a neurotoxin. And here's the thing. No one knows why they produce this terrible toxin that can kill dogs like Ollie and other fish and mammals. So not all cyanobacteria make these secondary metabolites. We don't actually know what they're for. People have been able to extract them and done tests and they can show that they'll have harmful effects on mice, in some cases people, fish and things, but we don't really know exactly what these compounds are for. But the big thing is that not all cyanobacteria produce these compounds. Not all cyanobacteria that could produce the compounds produce the compounds. It makes it more complicated to try to educate people. The danger to dogs and humans is not the only problem with these photosynthetic cyanobacteria. Here's Ruth Cassinger, author of the book Slime, How Algae Created Us, Plague Us, and Just Might Save Us. There are two kinds of algae blooms, but for the most part, we don't really care which they are, whether they're cyanobacteria that have grown out of all boundaries or microalgae. The basic problem is that because they're photosynthetic, they take carbon dioxide and sunlight and water and turn it into more of themselves. And under most circumstances, they don't go crazy in terms of reproduction. But when we add a lot more carbon and phosphorus and nitrogen to their water, and we warm up the water through climate change, that makes them very happy, and they go crazy. There are a couple reasons why humans and harmful algae blooms aren't species that have a great relationship. Some of them produce toxins, and those toxins are harmful to other wildlife, fish, crustaceans, and even mammals, including us, if we down too much of the water that these harmful algae are living in. So that's one reason why we don't like algae blooms. Other reasons are they simply, as they multiply and begin to look like green sludge on the top of a pond or a lake, they block sunlight to the creatures that live below, especially to the flora that is very important in the ecosystem of a pond or a lake. So that's another reason why we don't like algae blooms. And then a third reason is that, let's say we're talking about the Gulf of Mexico. In the spring, algae go crazy in the Gulf because farmers have been busy pouring fertilizers onto their soil in anticipation of feeding their crops. And the rain washes off the fertilizers into tributaries. The tributaries flow to the Mississippi. And then the Mississippi carries the fertilizers into the Gulf of Mexico. So whether they're toxic producing microalgae or cyanobacteria or just plain old everyday algae, they multiply to such an extent that they eat up all of this new fertilizer in the water, and then they die. And that's where the real problem comes in, because after they die, bacteria 
decomposing bacteria eat them, and the bacteria use oxygen to live. And so they use up all the oxygen in the water, and the water becomes anoxic, meaning there's no oxygen in it, and nothing else can live in that water. And any fish or shrimp or other creatures that need to breathe oxygen either die in most cases, or if they're lucky, they get to swim away. So that's the third reason why we really don't want to see algae blooms is because they lead to a great diminution of oxygen in very important waters. You might have heard of the red tide, which is a massive algae bloom off the coast of Florida in the Gulf of Mexico. A bacteria called Chironia brevis causes this scary scarlet wave in Florida, according to the National Ocean Service. Chironia brevis produces a neurotoxin, which kills nearly everything in the water, fish, turtles, birds, and marine mammals, which in Florida means manatees. It can also cause nearby humans to get sick. People can get lung illnesses from breathing it in or eat contaminated shellfish. So this algae isn't just ugly. It can be devastating. Well, I do think that people are going to become increasingly aware of it. I just saw an article just a few days ago about dogs being harmed by drinking water in New York State ponds. You know, I think we've treated it as just a ho-hum, you know, an aesthetic problem. But I do think it's going to have an increasing impact on the life of mammals. And, you know, the last round of red tide in Florida lasted well over a year. And that combined with algae blooms that started in Lake Okeechobee, but then flowed down an important river, the St. Lucie River, toward the beautiful lagoon that runs along the east coast of Florida. These are having a big economic impact. And the governor of Florida declared seven counties to be disaster zones. So I think algae blooms and the overall problem of excessive fertilizer runoff is going to be higher in everyone's consciousness. It's having a major economic impact in Florida. When people think of harmful algae blooms, they mostly think of Florida. These destructive cyanobacteria grew noticeably for the first time in cities in Texas and North Carolina this year. But in Florida, this has been going on for a long time. That might be because some of the bacteria's favorite food is naturally found in the water in Florida. And are those nutrients coming from fertilizers and things like that? Yeah, they come from a variety of sources. Fertilizers in people's gardens, that would be one way. Uh, communities that are fertilizing their grass or golf courses and things. I mean, those certainly would be ways to get nutrients from the land into the water. But you, know, you could also have failing septic systems or sewer systems that have issues. And I mean, industry dumps nutrients in some cases. So there are a lot of different ways that nutrients can get into lakes. There's also just some systems have high kind of natural sources of phosphorus, let's say. There's some systems in Florida that have super high levels of phosphorus just because of the geology. Southwest Florida was also the site of a mystery this summer. The Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission documented several panthers acting oddly, according to a news story in USA Today. 
Eight panthers, mostly kittens, and one adult bobcat were recorded walking oddly, losing control of their legs. One professor cited in the USA Today article theorized that they were poisoned by harmful algae blooms. They might have shared the same fate as Ollie. Wilson had more information about what was going on in Austin. Yeah, it's funny. So in my community, they didn't want to put signs up. At least the signs would say something like Alan Wilson said, don't get in the water if you don't think you should. But nothing that was, nothing that looked like what New York put up, so. Yeah, in Austin also, they had a lot of dogs dying. And I know they said in a press conference that they were putting signs everywhere around Lady Bird Lake and stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, actually, one of my friends that I trained she works for the Texas Department of Environmental Quality. She just called me about maybe two weeks ago, and she had done some phytoplankton training with me, and she was asking some questions, and I think it was about what's happening out at that lake. She describes seem pretty intense, so I'm glad she's out there. Wilson says his efforts are centered around protecting his area's drinking water. During their conference, the Austin City Council made sure to clarify that no drinking water comes from Lady Bird Lake. It's scary to think that this stuff might be in the water we drink. Yeah, I think what I do is really important. I think it, drinking water is important, um, safe drinking water. And I've been places where drinking water is super important, but it's not even like in the top 10 concerns of the people that live in those communities, right? There's just a lot of stuff that's going on and there are going to be water quality issues for a long time. And uh, given there's more and more people on the earth, I mean, it's, it's inevitable. I don't think people regard water like they should. And I always ask them, like in my class, how many people worry about their drinking water? And nobody does, right? We just hit the faucet and we get our water. And so there's a lot of people that don't have that luxury. I asked Wilson about some of the strategies he uses to try to get rid of the algae. He says it's not simple. There's not one approach that's going to work for everybody. Like I mentioned earlier, some of the blue-green algae tend to grow kind of slow. Usually when we see them in blooms, it's not like they just bloom up immediately. Sometimes they're kind of growing on the sediment or they're kind of growing away from where your eyes are. And all of a sudden, they just kind of explode on the surface. But they may have been hanging out there for a while. Or some of these can float, and so it may be that they've been in the lake the whole time, but they've decided to float to the surface, so now you can see them. There's different types of treatments that people apply, and I think some are maybe better than others, but we're... And we're actively kind of doing this kind of research now, trying to figure out what types of treatments are the best. I'm an ecologist, so I want to use what Mother Nature provides to make systems better. And that seems to work okay, but it may not be feasible in every system. And so you may need help from different chemicals. And so we're trying to see what types of chemicals would be better, but it's too early to know what the silver bullet is. I had this epiphany this summer that I'm not sure if ecological control is going to be something that would be feasible in every system all the time. And even if it was in systems, that would be hard to make it work. But if it does work, we notice some issues that algae have important roles and that if they're not in the systems, you can have certain kinds of nutrients, like ammonia can get really high. Having certain kinds of plants or um, algae out in the water can be super important. So I guess I'm thinking now about maybe not getting rid of all the algae, but again, trying to figure out how you can maybe minimize the algae, but then focus on the kind of algae that you want. And and again, I'll probably be doing this for the rest of my life, so I don't have the answer right now, but we're still working on it. Honestly, people like Wilson are unlikely to solve this problem completely. Climate change is going to make it worse. Algae thrive with higher levels of carbon dioxide, and they grow best in warmer waters. Less obvious effects of our climate crisis, like changing salinity levels, will also create more frequent algae blooms. And no one's about to stop using fertilizers with nitrogen and phosphorus.
Cassinger left me with a chillingly apocalyptic prophecy about how harmful algae blooms will outlast us all. All the signs point to they're going to become a larger and larger problem. You know, in a kind of final note, I do think that ultimately, long after we're gone, algae will be cleaning up our impeded waterways. And they'll do this simply because they do take carbon dioxide out of the air. And ultimately, and I'm talking a million years from now, they will take out the greenhouse gases that we've been pouring into the atmosphere and help solve some of the problems that we've created for ourselves. However, it is unlikely that the human species, at least in any form that we know it now, will be around to thank algae for doing the job. Thanks to my first listeners for this episode, Leslie Nemo and Eleanor Cummins. Thank you to Nikki Duong for the Plant Crimes art. Thanks, Nikki. You're welcome. Thank you to everyone who's written reviews. They help a lot. Next week, Plant Crimes is taking a break, a mid-season siesta, because I will be attending the annual National Association of Science Writers Conference. I'm excited, and if you're also going, I would love to say hi. Thanks for listening.